This Week at Hope Point. When someone is completely under the influence of alcohol, the decisions they make will often lead to their destruction. That's how powerful the influence of alcohol that level is. Paul uses that to say, in just the opposite way, I want you to be intoxicated by the Spirit. Don't go to court for a DUI, go to court for a LUI, living under the influence of the Spirit. Be intoxicated, completely controlled by the Spirit of God. The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God sends His Spirit to live forever in our body. He provides a power for living that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. In a culture that is increasingly hostile and seductive, there is no way to live for the purposes of God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. But even though God has given all of His Spirit to us, we do not often give all of ourselves to God. This is why we are instructed in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit daily. We are not asking for more of Him, but we are giving Him more of us. And every time we yield more of our lives to the Spirit, our capacity for knowing and serving God increases. Those who yield themselves to the Spirit's control will also be filled with the Spirit's power for new assignments. Let's listen now to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. One of our former college students is studying for a year or two in London. I called her a couple weeks ago, asked her how she was doing, and just out of curiosity, what are you studying in your postgraduate work? And she said, I'm studying right now. Two of my courses are Advanced Osteology and Anatomy and Paleopathology. Dawned on me at that point that it's probably not a school that I will ever attend. Then I asked her, have you found a church yet? And she said, I have. Great church. And she sent me the mission statement on the front cover of the brochure, and I love it. It said, I think it said, I think it said, we are a Bible-believing, Jesus-worshipping, Spirit-filled people who are convinced that church is the hope of the world. We exist to invite everyone to encounter Jesus. And I just thought to myself when I read that, how wonderful that a church would actually print on a a brochure that's going to hold them accountable, that we are spirit-filled. It seems unusual that somebody would say that, yet for the Apostle Paul said that's normative. That there is no church and that there is no Christian that should not be able to say at any given time, I am filled with the Spirit of God. That is the mission statement that he gave in the book of Ephesians. We looked at it a little bit last week. We'll look at it a little more today and finish it up next week. A life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled continuously with the Spirit. That's the definition of a church, of a Christian, a Spirit-filled people. God's design is for the normal Christian life to be filled with the Spirit. The five verses I just read contain... Three principles I'd look at today, sort of 
why be filled with the Spirit. Next week, we'll look a little bit more at how to be filled with the Spirit. But the why from these verses, just in general, I would say, why be filled with the Spirit? To resist ever-present temptation and an evil world. The Spirit will help with that. To maximize your knowing and doing of God's will. The Spirit will help with that. To increase your capacity for serving God. The Spirit will enable you to do more next week than you did last week. I'm not going to emphasize everything I said last week on the Holy Spirit, but if you're new here, let me just say this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's lived forever in co-equality with God. He left heaven 2,000 years ago to come live on earth for 33 years. He came to demonstrate who God was through his teaching and um, through his miracles and through his mercy to sinners. The greatest mercy that Jesus ever distributed to sinners was to die on a cross and in the six hours that he hung on Calvary's cross, the Bible says that God transferred the sin of every believing person in the world onto Jesus Christ. Jesus was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he told his disciples, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you alone. And I'm going to prove that by giving you the Holy Spirit. This was his promise in Acts chapter 1. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the, all the ends of the earth. Now, when you look at this phrase and say, what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? I would say it simply means to be clothed, to be fully soaked by God. That is his intention for everybody who comes to Christ. They get, at that moment, all of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized. What does it look like to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, God has given us a great metaphor for that with water baptism. If you weren't here last Sunday afternoon, I just want to share with you the beautiful sights of the 11 people, students, um, and adults who profess faith in Christ and walked into the waters of Lake Cooley saying, I do believe Jesus is Lord of all and he is judge of the living and the dead and he has become the savior of my life. Now, the one beautiful thing about all of these testimonies and all of these baptisms is that every one of these people, as you can see, through water baptism is giving demonstration that they are completely clothed in water. There wasn't one piece of their body and their clothing that was not touched by water. And that's what God wants you to understand when you receive Jesus Christ. The full Holy Spirit comes into your life and he clothes you completely with himself. And you'll need the power of the Holy Spirit because, as Paul said, the days are evil. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's a straightforward passage, isn't it? This is number one. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because you live in an evil world. Not a very flattering statement that the Scripture would make. And in case you thought that was a one-off by the Apostle Paul, he began the book of Galatians by describing the world the same way. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So whether you are reading Galatians or Ephesians, the Bible says 
that the world is evil, that people do not wake up every day and think of Jesus Christ as being supreme and worthy because of his magnificent love. The world every day bows to the idols of self-sufficiency and self-will, self-gratification. They believe that their life is more important than God's will. I don't have to give you a thousand examples for this to be true. You don't have to live up, lift up the lid of a sewer to know that the sewer stinks. I think we're convinced in this world that it is evil. People are hardened against holiness, and they're angrily hardened. They're not just disobedient. They're militant about their disobedience these days. Truth is hated. Lies are loved. If the media giants had their way, there would never be one value of God ever on social media. And they're fervently trying to arrange that through government legislation now. This grassroots rebellion has spread from school boards to university classrooms, to corporate offices, from city councils to state capitals, to the halls of Congress. Without apology, our government has declared war on the family, on babies, on the rule of law, on freedom, and on the church, and on unity. To say that the days of our evil is a vast understatement. And in the middle of all that, Paul said, the way that you handle living in an evil world is to be filled with the Spirit. We don't despair. We don't lose hope. We open our life and say, this is where I'm assigned to work. Fill me, O God, with your Holy Spirit. Be very careful then how you live, making the most of your opportunities. I have a friend that texts me most of the time, once a week, sometimes he'll wait every other week. But he's a dear friend. He was in the first service. And I laugh whenever I get a text from him because he always signs it, be careful. And I always find this a little amusing. I mean, I'm sitting in my office at my desk in my chair with my seatbelt on, <laughs> typing, and he says, be careful. And I'm thinking like, what does he know? Like, did we build this? Is this building on the San Andreas Fault? Like, are there a pack of wild dogs in the parking lot? Be careful. But he bases it on statements like this. The world is evil. Jesus had called us to walk, but he said a narrow path. And on the left and the right of the path are seductive voices. And it is so easy to get off the path. Be careful. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to keep our eyes on the footprints of Jesus on the path, neither to the right or to the left. The Holy Spirit is our guide every day, helping us to be careful and making the most of every opportunity. This word, opportunity, comes, there's two Greek words that are translated time. There's time in general, such as the world has been around for 6,000 years or whatever. Then there's the word time, which talk about how sacred time is, how it's filled with beautiful moments of opportunity that'll never come again. Opportunities that could change your life. Opportunities that our holy God has designed and put in front of you, and they're sacred because they've been chosen for you, and that's the word time that's used here that's translated Opportunity And every day, every moment in a way is sacred because God has designed that particular moment to help you love him more. It doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or a pastor, um, 
A street cleaner or a surgeon every day is filled with moments that increase your ability to know and love God. And what you do with your time is very important because when you spend it, you get something back for what you spend it for. And that's how you get through life. You have this certain amount of time. And in order to get this thing over there, you have to spend time. And when you get to the end of your life, you'll look, how did I spend all my time and what did I get for it? Like this afternoon, if you want to find out what everybody in the world did on this weekend, you can go to Facebook and you can find out the colors they chose for their kitchen and what did they order at the restaurant. And to find that out may cost you an hour of looking through what everybody's done. It may cost you three hours, but at the end of that, you say, I just gave away three hours in order to find out those answers. And you can't ever get those three hours back. You would have better luck at trying to retrieve the water that spills over Niagara Falls than ever trying to retrieve time. When it's gone, it's gone. Every day you have 24 hours to spend. At the end of those 24 hours, you say, what did I get for the way that I spent the 24 hours? The goal for every Christian is to spend your days in a way that you'll not be ashamed one day when you see your king. The most humbling aspect of time is that it one day will run out. It has its limits. And we call that moment when it runs out too late to change anything. When time runs out, it's too late. Imagine that somebody from your office invites you to come to church. You know you're not right with God. Their church sounds like something that would be helpful to you and you are making every plan in the world to be there. But on the day before you are going to go, that Sunday somebody calls you on Saturday morning and says, can you play golf tomorrow morning? And you decide, am I going to go play golf or church? You decide for golf. And the way home from golf, you have a car accident. Your life is taken from you. And at that moment, your time is over. And it's too late. That's the humbling thing about time. It has an end. And at the end, it's too late to change anything. History is sadly filled with too many too late. I was reading this week about um, on April 14th of 1912 <clears throat> at 11:40 p.m. Uh, Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee were seated uh, high above the Titanic on the most forward mast, and they were looking out in the North Atlantic Sea as that ship was cruising all along at 22 knots for icebergs. They saw something in the distance that was darker than the sea, but they didn't want to call it in, so they waited a little bit longer. As they got closer to it, they realized it was a massive iceberg. So they immediately phoned William Murdoch first officer gave a command. He gave a command to the engine room, full steam ahead. 
turn the ship to the left. They thought that as they grazed that piece of ice that they had made it. But below the surface of the water where the majority of an iceberg is, it ripped a gash in the side of the Titanic through six watertight compartments. Had it ripped through five, it would have floated. But when it hit the sixth, it would sink in a little over two hours and 25 minutes. And 1,400 people would have lost their life. By 7.30 p.m. that, that, after, that night, but when they hit the berg, they had received five warnings. There's a lot of ice in the North Atlantic in your sea lane. Less than one hour before they hit the berg, they received a, a call from the ship to California. We have decided to stop for the night because of ice. They ignored all of those warnings. And finally, when they saw that giant iceberg and tried to turn left, it was too late. Through the voice of conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord is constantly calling this world to him, but man is skilled at convincing himself there will be another day, another opportunity, until one day they discover it is their last day. And that's why Paul goes on to say, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When Paul says, don't be foolish, he means don't live reckless. Don't act as if this day doesn't matter. There is a will of God for you today to know him better, to love him more, to honor him in your calling. And that particular calling may not come again. If you're not careful, you will miss the assignments God has for you. And to miss the will of God for your life is to waste your life. So the goal of life is to learn how to not be foolish, but to understand what is God calling me to do. And we learn that, we discern that through the moving by being sensitive and responding to the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's how we overcome evil. That's how we know the will of God. It's through the Holy Spirit. I didn't type these verses out at the bottom, but you need to make reference to them. The, the one thing that we love about the life of Jesus Christ is the Scripture has numerous references to the fact of when Jesus Christ yielded his life to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He lived... Many people came believe that Jesus came just to die for our sins. That is true, but he also came to show us how to live. And the Bible says he did everything he did by the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to show us that life cannot be lived apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's a sort of a mystical phrase. Paul understands that we're going to struggle with that. What's it mean to be filled with something? So that one may be a little too different for us to grasp. So he, he gives us a comparison with something we can understand. And that is what happens to a man whose body is filled with alcohol and he becomes drunk, intoxicated. He's filled with alcohol. What happens when a man is filled like that with that substance he does things 
that he would have said the day before are impossible for me to do. And matter of fact, he does things that he says, I would never in a thousand lifetimes do that. But now because he's filled with a, a foreign power, another power, he lives in a way that he would have said, I will never, ever be involved in that. He is intoxicated by another power. And in this particular instance, that intoxication leads to what Paul says is debauchery. Paul wants to, you to understand when someone's life is completely controlled by alcohol, how excessive is the power that controls them. He says it's so excessive, it causes them to do things so differently than they would normally do. It ends in debauchery. So what does that mean? I didn't know that either. Never studied that word in my life. It comes from a Greek word, a compound Greek word, two words, one satia, one is a, alpha. The word satia is a word that we love, believe it or not. When you ask or we say, I went to church Sunday and I got saved, that's the word satia. It means to be saved from sin, salvation, safety, rescue. Wholeness, safety, salvation. But when you put the letter A in front of any Greek word, it means just the opposite. That's how Greeks, that's how Greeks could so easily describe something. They would say, well, you know what it means to be saved. Asatia means to be destroyed. So the exact opposite of being saved, it means to be destroyed. So Paul is saying, when someone is completely under the influence of alcohol, the decisions they make will often lead to their destruction. That's how powerful the influence of alcohol that level is. Paul uses that to say, in just the opposite way, I want you to be intoxicated by the Spirit. Don't go to court for a DUI. Go to court for a LUI, living under the influence of the Spirit. Be intoxicated, completely controlled by the Spirit of God. You say, well, how important is it to be con completely controlled by the Spirit of God? Because this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He has all of me. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He controls all my thinking and all my living. This is the theme of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, the filling of Christ everywhere. We saw this earlier in Ephesians chapter 4. This is the description of Jesus Christ, his mission. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. If you look at the story of Jesus Christ, he was in heaven and he descended to earth. Then he descended further than earth. He descended into the womb of a woman to become a baby. But he descended even more than that. He descended to being accused of being a criminal. And he descended even more of that. He descended for that, to the point of that criminal being criminal, accused of being a criminal, uh, nailed to a cross. And he descended, he descended even more than that. He descended to the grave because he died on the cross. 
The story of Jesus Christ is descent, 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 all the way to the grave. Why? So he could bear our sins, so he could rise from the dead, so that he could return to heaven where now the rest of history is Jesus Christ filling the universe. That's the purpose of history. That's how it's going to end. Every nook and cranny of the universe filled with Christ. That's the end of history. And until then, in the same way that Christ is going to fill the universe, now the Holy Spirit wants to fill all of your body like that. That's the, that's the will of God for your life, for your whole body to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, pleruste, which is a present, passive, imperative verb. Yay! Well, what does that mean? Well, present, passive, imperative. Imperative, we would know that's command. So the cool thing about being filled with the Spirit, it is a command for every one of us in this room today. He commands you to be filled with the Spirit just as He commands you to love your enemies, just as He commands you to devote yourself to prayer. He commands you, be filled with the Spirit. The wonderful thing about that is anything God commands, He enables. Everybody in this room can be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's an imperative, but it's also a passive verb, which means you can't change your life. Passive means there's a force acting upon you. It's not an active verb, not you doing something. You saying, I can't overcome this addiction. I had somebody at the end of the first service just precious come to me and say, I can't overcome this thing in my life. Which prayed for the Holy Spirit. Just open your life and say, whatever it takes, whatever areas you want to control, whatever boundaries I need to set, I set them, but come and do what I cannot do. It's a passive verb. He acts upon you. And then it is a present tense verb. As I dealt with this man at the end of the first service, I, I said, okay, what we just prayed for now at 10 o'clock, you need to pray again at 2 o'clock this afternoon, at 4, at 9 tonight, tomorrow morning at 7. Present every day. I yield my life, oh God, to your Holy Spirit. And every day, every moment, you could be filled with the Spirit. Before we met Christ, this is how we lived. All of self, none of God. Before we get to heaven, here's your goal. None of self and all of God. Filled with Spirit. That's the goal. To move from all of self to all of God before we arrive at his dinner table. The cool thing about being filled with the Spirit is it increases your capacity for God to use you. My preaching professor used to say it like this. The more of us that God has. Now notice what I'm not saying. You'll get any more of God. <laughs> A lot of people think, a lot of people think about the. This is why I, I stressed at the beginning, when you receive Christ, you're baptized in the Spirit, you get all of God. It's not like God moves. He's got this moving van, and he moves half of his stuff in. And they says, next year I'm moving the rest in. No, 
all of God moves in, but maybe not all of your areas of your life invite him to control that area. But he's not withholding anything from you. So the more of us that God has, not the more of God that you have, the more of us that God has, and the more of him that we appropriate, say, uh, this area, the greater our capacity for serving him becomes. You say yes to the Holy Spirit and you will have increasingly larger assignments of service. This is what makes life in the Holy Spirit so exciting. He provides new strength that you don't have in yourselves. I want to spend the rest of our time today looking at how this is played out in the book of Acts just so you'll know. You never need to to pray, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. That's happened. You need to constantly yield your life, let him fill you and control you, be intoxicated by him so that he can then fill you with power for special assignments. That's, that's where we're headed. That's the thesis of the last. You get all, the God, all of the Holy Spirit at once, but he doesn't get all of you at once. That's what you're, that's what you're working to do. Feel more and more parts of Holy Spirit with the parts I've not given you. And as you say yes to that filling, then he will fill you with new capacities for service. Watch how this plays out in the book of Acts. This is when the Holy Spirit, we saw this last week, first came to the church. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So church got the Holy Spirit that day. Not going to get any more Holy Spirit. He's there. He descended on 120 people. And now he sends them out. And one of them, named Peter, preaches. And the people there that he was preaching to, how do we get the Holy Spirit? And he tells them. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive what? The Holy Spirit. Anybody who confesses Christ gets the Holy Spirit. He baptizes you that day. All of him is in you. But the rest of your life, you're seeking to be filled, controlled, every part of you by the Holy Spirit that lives in your life. And when you say yes to that filling, he will fill you for new and greater assignments. How do we know that? Because the man who preached this needed new fillings of the Spirit. Yet the Bible said he already had the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Peter has the Spirit, but he's got new assignments. He needs new empowerings by the Spirit. Look, here, authorities just told him, quit preaching or we're going to kill you. Probably scared him. How did he respond to them when they told him, don't preach anymore? Acts 4, 8, 11. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is a new empowering. There were new areas of his life that the Holy Spirit needed to take over. One was fear. So the Holy Spirit gave him a new capacity to deal with fear. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else. I would say that's courageous. He was able to do that because he received his life, Baptized by the Spirit, Peter was yielded to the Spirit, and now he was filled with new capacities to preach boldly before 
his enemies. Same thing at the end of Acts chapter 4. The church had again been threatened. Don't preach anymore or we'll kill you. So they prayed. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want to encourage you, when we end the service today and we begin to sing song number five, last song, I believe the Holy Spirit, if he mimics his activity in the 9.30 service, is going, is the nine o'clock service, is going to shake the building and shake your hearts with something to behold. And you can be prepared for that by yielding your life, maybe through song number four, I yield my life to you. And now these people, afraid, oppressed, were going to be sent out. They needed a new empowering, new capacity for service. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit filled them for new capacity. What I'm trying to say again, the Holy Spirit fills us increasingly more and more, but the only people that he fills are people who are already filled. If you're controlled by the Spirit, then he fills you for new assignments. Those who yield themselves to the Spirit's control will be filled with the Spirit's power. I want to prove this again. There was a problem in the early church. Widows had a lot of them. They weren't getting their food. The, the church became aware of this. They had to solve it. Who did they choose to be on the serve the hungry widows committee? Acts 6, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit. What does that mean? Let the men who serve on this committee be spirit-filled, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-controlled men. So they were filled, they were, they, were all, they were full of the spirit. They were controlled. That's how they got the assignment. They were full of the spirit. But look, and so they chose Stephen because he was full of the spirit. But look, in the next chapter, he is preaching before his enemies. They're about to kill him. He needs new power to die. He needs a new filling of the Spirit. And look what happened. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, his preaching, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What do you do when people are about to throw stones, rocks? They're going to pull them at you and you're going to, they're hitting you. You need new courage, new joy. And if you're filled and controlled with the Spirit, He will fill you with new capacity to endure that suffering. The Holy Spirit lives in you completely, brothers and sisters. But he leads you to new and challenging assignments where you will need new strength. And that, that's what it means to get a new filling of the Spirit. And he fills you with new capacities when you are filled with him with daily and continual obedience. Imagine you're walking up a, a mountain trail. It's 95 degrees. You've been hiking for four hours. You're exhausted 
you're fatigued, you're thirsty, maybe getting dehydrated, and you look outside of a rock coming out of the mountain, and there's a pipe, and it's filling up a bucket. And that bucket is just overflowing. And you pick that bucket up, you drink some, and then you pour it over your head. And then you put that bucket back under that pipe, and before you can set it down, it's filled again. No metaphor is perfect, but that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The daily, you're putting yourself before the Holy Spirit, before Jesus Christ, before God the Father. You say, Holy Spirit, control my life, subdue my life, take over my life. I yield my life to you. And then all of a sudden, He sends you out for new people to minister to, new witness to be given new tasks that you never thought were possible, but because you are intoxicated and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, you're able to accomplish those by the power of God. The invitation today is to simply be that bucket underneath that pipe coming out of the rock of Christ and saying, oh, Holy Spirit, fill me that I might be spilled out for this world. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.